in the near future. Earth is dominated by a powerful world government. Once free nations are slaves to the will of a tiny elite, the dawn of a new dark age is upon mankind. Countries are a thing of the past. Every form of independence is under attack, with the family and even the individual itself nearing extinction. Close to 80% of the Earth's population has been eliminated. The remnants of a once free humanity are forced to live within highly controlled, compact prison-like cities. Travel is highly restricted. Superhighways connect the megacities and keep the population from entering into unauthorized zones. No human activity is private. AI supercomputers chronicle and categorize every action. A prison planet dominated by a ruthless gang of control freaks whose power can never be challenged. This is the vision of the global elite, their goal. A program of total dehumanization where the science of tyranny is law. A worldwide control grid designed to ensure the overlord's monopoly of power forever. Our species will be condemned to this nightmare future unless the masses are awakened to the New World Order master plan and mobilized to defeat it. Hello everyone. That was a clip from Alex Jones's 2007 documentary, Endgame. In it, Alex paints a picture of a dystopian future by drawing upon some of the more sinister and less well-known facts of our recent history. The Covid era has left many feeling that Mr Jones wasn't too far off the mark, as states claim ever more power to herd the human populace like cattle. Except, for our own good, of course. This is not what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. Rather, I'm going to be commenting on an observation made by Abby and Robbie Martin on Media Roots Radio, one that I think gets to the heart of a left and libertarian divide amongst anti-imperialists. This affects how both the Covid crisis and wider legitimacy of the state is viewed. Let's take a listen. Oh my God, I can't believe I never thought about it that way. And it's so interesting because this is like the inevitable end of the whole Alex Jonesian way of thinking. Like, you know, Endgame, all the police state movies that he put out in the early 2000s, it all was going to the biosecurity state. It all was going to end with the forcible injections, the the chip. You know, it's like, it's so funny because it kind of has manifested into like, that's just naturally where people are piecing this together is like, oh, look, we're in it now. Alex Jones was right. But as you mentioned, it all is kind of funneled into, no, it's just the Democratic Party establishment, which really keeps up that narrative that helps the right wing, of course, which is just the gut, not only because it's the Democratic Party, but it's because big government, right? It's the government shouldn't provide anything for us, cannot provide anything for us. And that's why you have people loving this narrative because they don't want to give credence to the notion that the government can provide things for people, that they can give us health care, right? Because it undercuts that Koch brother philosophy or the Alex Jonesian philosophy of like, again, it's like all about you. It's the rugged individualism. And then I think people would start rethinking what could the government do? 
how could the government t- take care of its citizens? So it's like this just helps that entire corporate oligarchy to like have people not only veer into the conspiratorial lane of thinking that you're talking about, but just adopt that anti-government anything when it comes to preparedness or response in a global pandemic. I've been following Abby's reporting for many years, from back when she had her Breaking the Set show on Russia Today. Her documentaries exposing the crimes of the American empire are simply outstanding, and I often find myself referring to them in my own podcasts. I occasionally listen to Media Roots Radio, as I find it to be a counterbalance to the more anarchic libertarian media I would typically consume. Abby and Robbie sit on the left of the political spectrum and challenge my positions in a way that's both interesting and frustrating, often both at the same time. This excerpt is a fine example. As you heard, Abby observes that in Alex Jones's work, a medical fascism, justified by the outbreak of a deadly virus, is a key instrument in bringing about global tyranny. Maybe the final play before the metaphorical cell doors slam shut. For good or ill, the fact that many people have viewed COVID restrictions in this manner is in no small part due to the work of Alex and others like him. If you think Alex Jones is right, then it's an overwhelmingly good thing that he warned everyone about this emerging fascism. If you think he's wrong, then he scaremongered people into non-compliance with entirely sensible public health measures. Let's say I have more sympathy with the former rather than latter position. Robbie and Abby O'Heather put an entirely different spin on this, one that hadn't occurred to me. I'm very interested in the concept of weaponized conspiracy, a theme I explored in my Contemplating Conspiracy series. It's certainly interesting to think that there would indeed be powerful interests who benefit from Alex Jones's message. Anyone, for example, opposed to socialized medicine or any other form of government expansion. Is it possible Alex had wealthy right-wing financial backers weaponizing conspiracy to generate fear of socialized medicine? Maybe that's not entirely implausible. One of the things I appreciate about Media Roots is Abby and Robbie's deep suspicion of the political right. This in an age where the more nefarious elements of the left are often seen as being in the ascendancy, with the right now becoming plucky heroes defending liberty. What I want to point out, though, is that if Alex Jones is guilty of creating fear and suspicion of government-mandated medicine, then Abby herself is no less so. Examining why takes us right into the heart of the left and libertarian anti-imperialist divide. Abby's body of work is dedicated to exposing the US government as an imperial war machine, an empire of mass murder. Her documentaries show the trail of destruction this machine has left across the globe for over a hundred years. Let's listen to a brief example taken from the introductory episode of her Empire Files series. Intervention after intervention, this growing empire has subverted the democratic processes of dozens of countries, undermined the people the world over, 
and installed countless dictators loyal to its will. War after war, it has swallowed up or attempted to destroy any land that has not capitulated to its demands. Even within their own borders, in cases where its own people dissented, the Empire deployed the military against them. Incidentally, every intervention seems to follow a similar trend. In Latin America alone, the U.S. military has intervened 56 times to determine the destiny of other nations. But let's just look at three examples. In 1944, a revolution in Guatemala overthrew U.S.-backed dictator Jorge Ubico and elected Juan José Aravalo in the first free elections. But his progressive reforms offended the United Fruit Company and other corporations' rule of the island. So after bombing Guatemala City, President Truman authorized the overthrow of Aravalo's democratically elected successor, Jacobo Arbenz, in 1952. The brutal display marked the beginning of a 36-year civil war ruled by U.S.-backed dictators and death squads, where 200,000 Guatemalans were killed. In the Dominican Republic, the people democratically elected Juan Bosch to power in 1962, after being ruled by a U.S.-trained dictator for 31 years, whose reign is considered one of the bloodiest in all of the Americas. Just one year later, Bosch was overthrown by a U.S.-supported fascist military coup, but growing resistance led President Johnson to deploy more than 22,000 troops in the DR in 1965, killing 3,000 people and enabling the military occupation to continue for decades. Then there's Chile, where the U.S. spent $6 million to undermine leftist leader Salvador Allende before he was even elected in 1970. A mass movement of people backing Allende's progressive reforms terrified the establishment, so a bloody CIA coup ensued followed by a 17-year military dictatorship by the notoriously heinous Pinochet, who carried out a reign of terror, torturing 28,000, executing 2,279, and leaving countless disappeared. Now it's time for a thought experiment. Imagine an alien, totally unfamiliar with our world, comes across 10 hours of Abby Martin documentaries. At the end of watching them, you ask him what he thought of this entity Abby has been calling the Empire. Assuming the alien holds similar moral values to our own, he would no doubt conclude it was a murder machine, an evil entity run by psychopaths bringing nothing but death and destruction to the globe. He may also comment on how deceptive they are, using propaganda to convince the population of their virtue. So what have you now asked him if he thought it would be a good idea if this entity, this empire, was put in charge of a nation's healthcare, providing it free at the point of use, funded by compulsory payments? Our alien would no doubt be perplexed that you would even ask such a thing. What a strange question. Of course these people are the last group you would ever want in charge of healthcare. They would surely use such power to enrich themselves whilst not giving a damn about the people they pretend to serve. Surely they would use the same kind of propaganda employed to dupe the population into foreign wars to convince the masses they were acting in their best interests. But at best, they would provide healthcare for the population in the sense farmers provide it for their cattle. They need to keep them functional but not with their best interests in mind. 
You could challenge the alien and suggest that a different group of people, good people, could take over the state and turn it into a force for good. The alien might reply that there's no evidence in the documentaries he's seen, spanning over a hundred years, that any such thing is possible. He may also suggest that something about the nature of centralised power seemed to be inherently corrupting. Now, what if you told the alien that the lady who made these documentaries actually supported the evil entity taking control of healthcare? How do you think he might react? Shocked? Perplexed? Unable to understand? Perhaps he would even entertain thoughts that she was secretly a part of the state apparatus. How else could he explain it? I don't wish to make a caricature of Abby's position, or the position of any left-leaning anti-imperialist. I'm sure this seeming contradiction has occurred to her too. Perhaps she thinks the state must be reorganised or decentralised before it could serve this medical function. There would then be at least some semblance of common ground with the more libertarian anti-imperialists, who see the state as akin to Tolkien's ring of power, by its very nature only capable of producing evil. In any case, this is the divide we have to confront. Okay, thank you for listening. I'm going to play us out with another clip from Alex Jones's Endgame. Basically, I cut the clip out, intending to use it somewhere, then couldn't find a slot for it. So, here it is. Alex is describing the state's crimes that should give one pause for thought on wanting greater state involvement in medicine today. The elite have left a massive wave of destruction behind them as they cold-bloodedly experiment on civilian populations as if we are lab rats. A string of congressional investigations has uncovered more than 20,000 secret tests that were carried out against the American people between 1910 and 2000. One well-known eugenic study, the Tuskegee Syphilis Project, killed hundreds of blacks and spanned 40 years until whistleblowers exposed it in 1972. From 1943 until present, the British have tested lethal nerve gas on their own personnel on land, air, and sea. Many died instantly. Still others died grueling deaths over several years. The federal government commissioned secret radiation experiments on thousands of non-consenting patients. Hundreds of hospitals in the U.S. injected healthy men, women, and children with uranium and plutonium at dosage levels ranging from non-therapeutic to lethal, killing many of the test subjects. Pregnant wives of GIs were given vitamins by base doctors that actually consisted of highly radioactive uranium-239 and plutonium-241, resulting in violent miscarriages and the death of the mothers. Soldiers, sailors, and marines were used as guinea pigs in hundreds of atomic and hydrogen bomb tests. Patriotic Americans were radiated side by side with lab animals. Pilots were forced to repeatedly fly through mushroom clouds of DNA-destroying radiation. 
From 1951 to 1961, the U.S. Army paid Israel's health ministry 3 million lira to conduct radiation testing on Sephardic children that immigrated to Israel. The government-run public schools would tell the children that they were going to get a medical checkup and that they were receiving an x-ray. The Pentagon had already radiated more than 4,000 institutionalized children in the United States, many of which had died. More than 110,000 of the darker-skinned Jews were given 35,000 times the maximum dose of x-rays to the head repeatedly. Many of the children died within months. All of them lost their hair. Some still live today and endure excruciating health problems. The covert testing of chemical, biological, and radiological agents on unsuspecting populations continues worldwide today. From 1940 to 1979, the vast majority of the British population was sprayed by aircraft more than 2,000 times with deadly chemicals and microorganisms without ever being told. In 1968, the Pentagon tested a deadly bioweapon on New York subways and placed personnel in local hospitals to monitor the effects. Aggressive sterilization of men and women continued in many states until the mid-1980s. The United States and England are currently testing pesticides and highly toxic experimental drugs on tens of thousands of healthy foster children, many of which die as a result of the experiments. Prisons across the nation have forced inmates to participate in grisly experiments, ranging from pesticide studies to having tablets of dioxin sewn into their backs. Gradually, by selective breeding, the congenital differences between rulers and ruled will increase until they become almost different species. A revolt of the plebs would become as unthinkable as an organized insurrection of sheep against the practice of eating mutton. Bertrand Russell. H.G. Wells, Aldous Huxley, Bertrand Russell, and hundreds of other eugenicists constantly bragged about how the establishment believed themselves to be a separate, more advanced species than the common man. Top eugenicists were bold enough to admit that their real goal was not improving the heredity of the commoner, but to further dumb them down so that they could be more manageable. Nobel Prize winner Russell wrote at length about how vaccinations filled with mercury and other brain-damaging compounds would induce partial chemical lobotomies and develop a servile zombie population. Diet, injections, and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable, and any serious criticism of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. Bertrand Russell.